This week we are blessed to have a great cast of OSINT Curious members and our special guest Nicole Beckwith. So uh, I'm Michael Hoffman, I go by Web Breacher Online. Welcome. John, you want to say hi to everybody? Hey everybody, John Turwish, The Gumshoe on Twitter. Welcome back to another live stream. Thanks for joining us. Go oh, ahead, Christina. John. Oh, you're going to throw it to John? Hello. Somebody. Ladies first. Christina. I'll take it. <laughs> Hello, everyone. My name is Christina Lecate. Welcome another Sunday. And of course, you can find me on Twitter as Christina Lecate as well. And I will carry it over to Josh. Hi, everybody. This is Josh Huff, Beowulf88 on Twitter. Glad to be here. Cool. <laughs> and finally, we have our special guest that's with us today on this live stream, Nicole Beckwith. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Um, Nicole, how about uh, you tell us a little bit about your background in investigations and OSINs and the other things that you've been doing, um, just to familiarize you and our audience? Sure. So um, I have a background in computers and electronics um, since I was you know, little. But uh, somewhere in my career, I decided to switch to law enforcement and became a state investigator for the state of Ohio and then did digital forensics and incident response for them. And at some point uh, was asked by the Secret Service to come help them. So I was sworn in um, as a deputy U.S. Marshal and assigned to the Secret Service Electronics and Financial Crimes Task Force um, for the Southern District of Ohio. So basically the whole Southern half of the state. Um, with that, I you know, did digital forensics and incident response for them, helped on a myriad of cases. Um, and then at some point uh, decided to hang all of that up um, and go to the private sector. So I was a staff cyber intelligence analyst at GE Aviation for two years, a little over two years. And then I uh, just recently switched and became an advanced security engineer for the automation and tools team over at Kroger. So that's what I, I currently do at the moment. Wow. That is a huge amount of experience uh, in law enforcement and in uh, lots of different types of investigations. Um, so within the OSINT world, what type of investigations or what type of work are you finding yourself doing nowadays? Nowadays, it's mostly business intelligence. So, you know, some of the, it could be an HR case, it could be um, a new business that we're looking to, to work with. Um, it could also be, um, you know, an overseas company, or it could be an adversary or, you know, a, a cybercrime group that we're looking into. So there's a lot of different ways that OSINT crosses you might path on a day-to-day -day basis. Cool. And yeah. you've been doing a lot of things lately that have, have have really drawn on your experience within the world of investigation, but also with some mental health things that people don't normally talk about within the OSINT world. You want to tell us a little bit about the things that you've been working on and, and sharing in, in your interviews? Sure, absolutely. So um, mental health uh, kind of crossed my path when I started to see and train a lot of the law enforcement that I was working with and seeing that you know they were also having issues with you know traumatic experiences and PTSD in cases. And I realized that you know there isn't a mainline or a mainstream um, training out there that before you get into these cases that you get. And so I kind of started putting together 
what I wish I would have had before I started because um, you know, as I've been very open about, I still still deal with the the trauma and the aftermath of some of these cases that I worked. And so starting with that, um, I kind of took a look at, okay, if if I had gotten this training ahead of time, what would I want other law enforcement or other investigators to know um, to kind of prepare them before the case, during the case, and then after the case and give them the resources um, that I use on a daily basis? So that's kind of how I got started in this. That's really, really great. And I remember from your talks a lot of times you focus on being proactive and being prepared in advance uh, before you start an investigation, knowing what to expect, but also setting up your workplace in a more appropriate way. And based on that, I remember one of your talks you had mentioned, um, you had mentioned removing a lot, all of the items around your office, keep, keeping your space neat and clean so that you won't create mental associations with items or music and, you know, sensory things. Yeah, so everything. So sight, uh, touch, sound, smell, the clothes that you wear, everything can be an association. It can either be a positive association or a negative association. And so what I typically tell folks is clear your desk because clear desk kind of equals a clear head and a clear space. Um, it also makes sure that there aren't those objects around you that you can create that negative association with. Um, and so I typically clear my entire desk when I'm doing an OSINT investigation or working a case, especially some of the cases that I know are, are likely going to involve abuse or material that um, you are gonna have a negative association with. So uh, I clear my space. I have um, a mat, a double-sided mat on my desk that is a different color on each side. I will switch that mat to a different color when I start um, my OSINT investigations. And I know that sounds really simple and really silly, um, but it, it allows me to switch into that mode. Um, and then I switch it back you know, when I'm done. Um, and that's mm -hmm. kind of a closure for me. So yeah, that's one of the things that, that I suggest. Yeah, this is a correct brain-wise. It's correct because you you take an action to flip the switch essentially. So yeah. I like how in your your mind games presentation um, that's out on YouTube and so on, you you know talk about categorization and you talk about some techniques and you know, you make very clear, like, these are things that work for you. You can try these, but people are different. Um, but you give, you, you have some great ideas about things like that. Um, and even, you know, just as a private investigator and so on, I have not run across the horrific things that you've run across. You know, I've come upon dead bodies and things like that, but not in these traumatic type situations the same way you have. And I think there are a lot of people that are in different grades of that, and they all affect people in different ways as well. Um, so I think it's really great to point these out. And I also love how you um, talk about getting into the mindset of your targets at the same time that you are, you know, presenting on understanding yourself. It's, it's uh, I think it's a flip side of that same coin, right? Uh, do you want to talk a little more about that and how you view understanding the, the mind or at least your own mind so you can protect yourself as well as getting into your target's head? Sure, sure. I think it's really important. 
Um, you guys getting the feedback too? Yep, we're getting a little echo on there. Okay. Um, I think it's really under, uh, helpful to understand yourself first. So you really have to realize what your triggers are and what may set you off in your investigations. And I talk a lot about, you know, the honeycomb effect and compartmentalization. Um, and I, I learned that through uh, sniper training. And that was one of the things that they said is you really have to take yourself out of the situation. You have to make sure that you know where those emotional um, triggers are. And so if you can take your case in each part of your life and put them into a separate compartment, it makes it easier to turn that switch, like Christina said, flip that switch off and on. And so from the very beginning, you know, we're trained in um, polyvagal theory or PV theory on the escalation of, of different emotional and neurological responses. And so in understanding that as a baseline, you then can study, you know, I, I love studying human behavior and, and body language and, you know, looking at, um, you know, voice inflection and, and tone. And so if you study that, then you can start to understand and think about those things in the perspective of the person that is your subject, whether that be a victim or a, a potential target. Um, and so that's really helped me baseline a lot of cases in understanding where I'm coming from and my mental triggers um, and then understanding my my target and my subject and really being able to look at you know why the why behind what they're doing because everybody has that um, a motive you know it may be personal it may be professional it, you know it may be malicious or, or it may not be it may just be because they're trying to help their family in a lot of cases that I had so um, understanding yourself and understanding your target, I think is so important for these cases. Absolutely, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I want us to talk a little bit more about the honeycomb effect, but you gave me so much more that I'm thinking right now. And one of them is like you said, you need to know yourself and you need to listen to your emotions. But we all know as well that many times during investigations, we try to silence this voice out that tells us we are uncomfortable with something or when it gets really tough, it's when you know an investigation is affecting you emotionally very badly and you try to repress it. So, um, they say in psychology that uh, you either acknowledge your emotions and you have them in your consciousness or you repress them and you have them work against you without even realizing it. And you talk a lot about listening to yourself. Can you share some more on that? Because, yeah, that was great. Yeah, so um, you, you're right. You can, and in this, this field, you know, we're all taught, especially in law enforcement, that were alphas that were supposed to just push through and you know suck it up and keep going and and be tough um but at some point that's going to come back to bite you if you don't deal with it now you're going to have to deal with it later and so it's best to understand what you're going through now to stop it um, because a lot of what you're feeling is is not rational it's just an emotional response to what you're seeing. So if you can stop that and take a step back from the case um, and put that into perspective at the time that it's happening, then you're not gonna have to deal with the, the outcome of all of that later. 
Um, and it is going to bubble to the surface. It's just a matter of when and how. And unfortunately, with a lot of people, it shows up in their family life um, or in their work life. And um, it ends up having a greater impact on their entire life instead of if they would have just taken that you know, brief five minutes to step back. Um, do some of the things that I talk about, which is, you know, the HALT method or the 54321 technique, um, breathing techniques, something as simple as just getting up from your, from your desk and walking away, you know, taking a walk outside, getting fresh air. People underestimate how simple those are, but how big of an impact that that can have on yourself and your cases. Thank you, muted, Micah. Thank you, you're on mute. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you have years of experience doing this. So you have that feedback. You have that that self-feedback, I guess. You, ha you have that understanding of yourself. For people that are just getting into the world of OSINT, which is a lot of our audience, uh, for those that are less trained, that are less in touch with their own emotions, how can some of these, how can they learn to recognize when they start need, needing to use the heart, the halt and the five, four, three, two, one and going for a walk? What are those triggers that you would suggest to them? Yeah, so you're constantly taking a look at what you're doing. So for a lot of people, it's clenching your fists. Um, it's starting to feel your heart rate rise. Um, your breathing becomes a little quicker. And so it mimics an anxiety attack almost. Um, and if you really pay attention, you know, your jaw or the way you're sitting or you kind of move forward and you're like really invested in the case, um, you tense your whole body up when you start to feel these emotions. And if you can just realize those simple triggers, then you'll start to realize some of the other ones that you see as well. But I would say those are the most common um, tension, you know, heart rate, breathing. So those are some of the simple ones. One of the simplest things that I found was I have a little mirror above my desk and every now and then I look at it to see if I'm gritting my teeth or grinding my jaws or, or staring at my screen like that. You know, just yeah. that look like, holy cow, who's that? That can give me that it's time to get away from the computer. A little. And I think it's different for everyone and you kind of have to learn yeah. yourself a little bit and it doesn't hurt you to be feeling, you know, like you said, sharing your emotions and feeling a little bit stressed like, okay, I'm just going to go out for a walk now and look at some trees and birds or whatever, you know? Uh, yeah. And then uh, another part of that is, honestly, some people aren't necessarily in the place that they they should be just as a person. Like I had a yeah. friend, a co-worker, who right out of law school uh, went to work for state government as, as uh, working CSAM, child sexual abuse cases. And he did that for a year or two and that was all he did and it was just like it was too much and he just walked away from it and for some people that might be the right choice too absolutely and you have to understand yourself to know that maybe i thought that i could handle these cases and if you get into one and you can't it's okay to say no it's okay to stop and talk to your manager or your supervisor and say you know i really thought i could handle this but i can't and I think it's in my best interest and the case's best interest to pass this on to somebody else. Um, and like I said, that's perfectly okay to do. Everybody's going to have a different response. Nicole. But I think, um, yeah, go, Michael. Okay. I was just going to say, just as a follow-up, 
in your career, Nicole, have you noticed uh, that your responses change depending on where you are in your life? For instance, I could not watch Walking Dead when the Walking Dead show came out because the one of the first scenes is a picture of a, a, a video of a young girl, which happened to be about the same age as my daughter, getting shot in the head. I was like, nope, I'm out. I, I can't even go beyond this. But now, you know, they're older. I'm in a different place. So my reactions are different. Do you notice something similar? Yes, absolutely. And, and it's going to change over your career. So, you know, where I was when I first started, um, I was okay with doing those kinds of cases because I hadn't, my son was, you know, a little bit older. So I wasn't, you know, associating that with, with my son. Um, but then as I got a little bit older and, you know, started working these cases more, you know, different stuff does affect you. So movies, like you said, TV shows, um, you know, uh, like NCIS, or if I'm watching, you know, Special Victims Unit, for example, um, there are a lot of those, like I had to stop watching because it did trigger you know, me to have a response to that. Um, there are still things that, you know, if I go to a soccer field and I see a person across the way, or I see a child that looks like one of my cases, that triggers me and I will have to take a step back and use one of the techniques that I talked about to, to suppress that and, and realize what's happening. So yeah, and, and it can help as you get more invested in these. Um, maybe you find those things that work and you're able to, to push through and keep going. But I will say that a lot of times with the CSAM cases too, you're not meant to do these for 10 years. You're not meant to do these for an extended period of time. You know, there's a reason that law enforcement rotates their people out every couple of years because they know that it is going to have a last, uh, lasting traumatic effect on you. Um, now, there are also departments that obviously that's been the one person that's been there for 20 years and that's all they do. But they've learned through that how to cope. Um, and again, it's just you taking note of how you feel and whether or not you feel that you can continue. Um, and it's not just about you. I, I think you know, a lot of times we are looking at mental health from the perspective of, of just us um, and how it's affecting us. But I think we need to take a step back and realize how we work a case is also affecting the case and the people in that case and the victims. Um, so we have to look at that from both sides of the coin. It's not just affecting you, it's affecting everybody involved. Thank you. I like that mentality a lot. Um, being formerly in digital forensics, I think a lot of people don't see that from the outside. So you're, you're analyzing a computer or a, a mobile phone or something, but you're you're analyzing people and the devices that they use and there's an impact both ways for sure. Yeah, absolutely. What you decide in a case um, could potentially put that person behind bars for many years. And so if you, if you have a bias, so I know we're talking about mental health, but I love talking about unconscious bias as well. And, you know, if you have a bias that you, you aren't aware of, and you're putting that into a case, um, obviously that's gonna affect the case as well. So there's a lot of things you have to consider um, mentally and emotionally when you work in a case, not only for yourself, but you know, for the victims and you know, the suspect too. I think that kind of is a little bit associated with the categorization and the ability to stay objective somewhat, right? Uh, one, yeah. 
some of the training I've done with emergency response, one of the instructors is like, remember, it's their emergency. It's not your emergency, right? And there's a bit of a, a shade of that here. Um, but at the same time, you need to do what you need to do to, to keep yourself right. Right. And I always say you have to think about things logically. When you're working these cases, you know, when you're responding to a, a 911 call, when you're, you know, helping out on an emergency situation, you can't go there and be frantic yourself. You have to step back. You have to be the one that has the clear head, that your emotions are in check, and that you're thinking clearly. And the same thing with investigations um, and OSINT investigations. You really have to clear your head and be thinking logically about everything and every step that you take so that you're not, you know, further traumatizing or making the case worse. Absolutely, or, or perhaps even doing your clients or your end users a disservice mm -hmm. by, by not doing an objective investigation uh, and, and missing things or, or guiding them down some path maybe that is not the right one. Yes, absolutely. Nicole, uh, one question that I, oh, actually, Christina, you've been wanting to say something for a while. Sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> yes, uh, it's kind of the, the opposite side of the spectrum. Yes, you uh, you throw in a lot of energy into the investigations, a lot of yourself, a lot of your mental abilities and mental space. And the advice that I have gotten I and I found useful for me was to try and um, Fill in your batteries with uh, with good things when you are out of the office as much as you can like truly focus on doing something good for you whether whether that is just taking a walk with good music uh, or speaking to a friend or doing something completely irrelevant that is just good for you personally so that you can get then go back into the office with a fresh head the next day and not being completely drained. Yeah, that's great advice. And I think so many um, people kind of immerse themselves into one thing. And OSINT is definitely one of those things that you can go down a million different rabbit holes and you can learn something new every single day because it's you such a broad um, skill set. And you really have to learn to step away and have hobbies and have things that you do, um, you know, on your downtime so that you're not just focusing on on those things that you're doing day in and day out. So I, I love that. I think that's great. I think that applies, I mean, to OSINT and investigations and all that, but as well as broader subjects like information yeah. security. People just get yeah. so into things. They're staying up till three in the morning writing code and all that, and they're just into it. And sometimes it really helps you to step away. Yeah, and the thing is you really need to force yourself to do this because you, you will not want to get out of your rabbit hole. You will always think that oh, um, it's one step closer. And I, one more. yeah, so, just a little bit more. So we are here, uh, we are OSINT Curious, and we are talking about open source intelligence investigations. And we're here uh, joined with Nicole Beckwith, uh, who's sharing her experiences, uh, her uh, lots of years of investigation, as long as, as well as the tips that she's developed and started publicizing over the years about in investigator mental health. Um, I wanted to 
maybe shift the conversation, Nicole. Uh, we talked about having that self-awareness to realize when you are getting stressed or getting into a situation where you need to step up and step away. Do you have suggestions for those coworkers, spouses, partners that might be around OSINT investigators with us shifting investigations out of necessarily offices where properly trained people could recognize the signs of stress, the signs of trauma, and now moving them to sometimes homes and offices? Do you have any suggestions for how other people can work with their, the investigators that are working in their homes? Sure. Well, first of all, I think it's so important. It doesn't matter if it's a roommate, um, a friend, a child, or a spouse, to sit down and have that conversation right off the bat and say, you know, here's what I'm going to be doing at home. This is probably going to affect me. Um, I do need a little bit of a break and I need to be able to clear my head before I switch from work to home life. And, um, you know, I used to love the drive home and would, you know, put music on or that was my, my space to clear my head before I hit home life. But you're right. You know, nowadays everybody's working from home. Um, for example, my office right now is in my bedroom. So there is not, you know, that separation of, of work and, and home. And so, um, you know, for the, the friends and the family, you know, they need to understand that this is, you know, potentially traumatizing and that you do have those times that maybe you just need to walk out and maybe it's a word or a phrase or, you know, a signal that you give them that just says, look, I, I really need five minutes. Um, I'm not ignoring you. Um, you know, I, I'm not trying to brush you off, but I really need, you know, this five minutes to go outside and take a breather before I come back in. And then you're going to be my, my whole attention. Um, and so, you know, I've had that conversation with my family um, and they know, you know, when I say, hey, just give me five minutes, I'll be right back. And I walk out and I take a walk, you know, up the street and back. It could just be, you know, five seconds, could be five minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it needs. Um, but you have to have that. And it's just a matter of communication and, you know, being honest with that person about what you do. Maybe you can't share what you're doing, but they can understand you know, the ramifications of, of what you're working on and how it's going to impact your family. Thanks for that. And kind of related to that is uh, within some of the places that you've worked or places that you've heard of, uh, coffee is trash. Our, our uh, user, our audience member over on the Twitch platform asked if there are people in offices that are aware of this and looking out for people that might be exhibiting signs of stress and tapping them and saying, hey, it's time for you to go take a break. Do you find that the case or not so much? No, I've actually never had that be the case, which is unfortunate. And I think it's something that um, we really need to work with management and and make them realize what the signs are and, and the signals that they need to have a chat, force a vacation day, force a mental health day. Um, I know there's a couple companies that I've seen, you know, my friends post like, hey, you know, this company that I work for is forcing a, a mental health Friday and told all their people they can't log in. Um, I think that has to happen in, in every company though, and management specifically has to be trained in, in what those things are that you need to look for. Um, you know, if you're seeing that person that's coming in at six in the morning, they're not leaving until 10 o'clock at night, 
they're stressed. You, you can tell when somebody isn't sleeping, the bags under their eyes, if they're drinking 20 cups of coffee a day, um, you know, they're not hydrated. That's the time where whether you're a manager or a friend, um, you know, coworker, you have to tap that person and say, look, I can tell you're struggling with this. Maybe it's time for you to take a break. Um, we all know the people that do that day in and day out. I actually just had a conversation with one of my coworkers on Friday about this and said, you know, if you don't stop, I'm going to, you know, write a rule that says that you can't connect a VPN from Friday at five to, to 8 a.m. on Monday because I know you're working on the weekends and that's not healthy. You need to get away. Um, so we all have to force those breaks, I think. Yeah. I mean, even just uh, mentioning it forces a conversation and maybe forces the other person to sit back and reflect a little bit on it. So I think it is important to point it out or maybe give them the opportunity to to share with you that this is too much for them. But uh, we all know that uh, this requires a non-criticizing tone always. Oh, absolutely. Yep, that's really important. Well, and, and you as, a, as an investigator need to be open to your coworker telling you it's time for you to step away and be be able to receive that. I've had many very strong willed, um, strong willed people that I've worked with where I'm like, I can see you're getting stressed and they're like, F you, Micah, I'm fine. And I'm like, hey, all right. Then I take the hammer and crush their keyboard so they can't work. And then they get upset at me and it's my fault. But, but I mean, I mean, really, you have to be okay with other people saying, I'm seeing these signs in you and, and you need to take a break. But fun yeah. fact, even these people sit back at the end of the day and might reflect on it. And just because you mentioned it, they, it, it might go with them in the end of the, in the, end of the day. So you, you never know how your words affect somebody else. I think definitely follow up on that. Like we kind of need to look out for each other, right? Whether you're a manager managing people or just coworkers and you are seeing those signs of stress, like say something or be that person that they can talk to. Nicole, you talked about journaling and doing things, right? Like even mm -hmm. just talking to somebody sometimes gets it out of your head and, and gets it away from you a little bit so you can deal better. Um, I think those are some other things that we can all do to help ourselves and help others. And I, for myself, I know if I'm in stressful situations, if I'm doing something to help another person, that actually helps me, right? Because I'm, I'm expanding beyond just being in my head here. Yeah, you actually bring up a great point, which is, you know, especially work from home lately, we don't want to be that person. We all know that we have so many things going on in our life. Maybe it's kids and family at home. We don't want to bug that other person or feel like we're being a burden. But at the same time, you really have to know when to ask for help. And, you know, I'm sure if my coworkers are listening right now, they're laughing at me because they know I'm one of the worst people at doing this. Um, <laughs> But you have to ask for help and you have to be okay and, and set your ego aside, especially on a case. We all want to be the one that breaks that case and finds that thing. Um, but we have to ask for help and it's okay to ask for help. And I'm sure there are several people, you know, I love helping people. I'm sure my coworkers are the same. I'm sure, you know, there's several of us that would love to jump in on cases and help. So, so Nicole, you've mentioned um, earlier about HALT. And mm -hmm. I saw you tweeted it out right recently and I put it in the chat. Can you tell us about what HALT is and when we, we use it? 
Yep. Halt is hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And those are the four um, emotional you know, issues that you might be having that um, feed into you having a bad day or you doing something harmful. So, you know, we all joke about, you know, if you're hungry, eat a Snickers. Um, but how many times does that really affect you? It, it does. You know, you might get angry or you might uh, snap or lash out at people when maybe if you weren't hungry, you wouldn't. Um, being angry, you know, if you're angry, like I, I've mentioned, if you're getting ready to sit down and do an OSINT investigation or a case, if you're angry, you probably shouldn't start that case. It's going to affect something. Same goes for your personal life. Um, and if you're lonely, maybe you need to take a step back there. Or if you're tired, you know, how many times have we been up late at night and we're just you know, then we get angry and then we're hungry because we're up at late at night. And it's actually, you know, it's sad to discuss this, but um, in suicide cases, that's actually, they'll find that there's two or more of those things that have occurred that might have played into somebody committing suicide. And so um, I'm a big proponent of getting that out and spreading the word like, hey, you really need to take note if you're one of those four things, you know, Maybe you need to fix that. If you're two or more of those four things, maybe go talk to somebody, um, you know, just go to sleep, you know, grab a bite to eat, go to sleep, something. Um, you know, the lonely part obviously is a little harder to fix, um, but we all have friends and people that we can call. Um, so we well, definitely need to take note. And here, uh, Newbie on TV, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right, um, has asked, are there professional coaches? Are there people that can teach? I know that you've done several talks, articles, uh, podcasts, and other things to help train, but are there professional people that do this as well? Yeah, there are. Um, and I'll have to link some of those resources at the end. Let's see if I can. Okay. Um, you know, there's NAMI, uh, which is a, a national mental health um, group that does help you know, with that. Um, and then there's also, oh gosh, I'm going to, I don't have the uh, shift wellness um, is a big one. Um, there's a couple other groups that are out there that help, you know, specifically with law enforcement or help with other folks that may be having anxiety or showing you know, some of the symptoms of this. Um, there's always, you know, mental health coaches and psychologists and, and therapists that can help as well. So, and I think that's one of the things we really need to focus on is making it okay to take off and go talk to somebody. Mental health is there. Most insurances pay for that. Um, if you don't have insurance, you know, there's always free resources out there as well. And really use those, those resources when you can. And that's another good point because a, a lot of people think that they need to visit uh, a coach or a psychologist when uh, they have reached an extreme point. And in reality, this is too late. It's Real better to start earlier. Yeah. Go, John. Other sources, you know, if you belong to a church or something like that, like, hey, talk to yeah. your pastor. There's all sorts of people out there that would probably be very happy to, to help you out. And since somebody mentioned uh, before that sometimes we work with cases that uh, we cannot talk about, uh, that have a lot of confidential information involved, you do not have to share the confidential information or details about the case. You can just share how 
certain parts of the process make you feel or the thoughts that go through your hand, head without details. There are many ways to describe something, but it is still important to talk about it. Or like, like Nicole said before, uh, talk to your family about the, what they should expect from you. It's about expectations management. Well, and, and what I'm hearing from Nicole and, and really all of you is that is that there's a preparation step for how you how you as an investigator should be mentally um, and physically even you know if you're tired or hungry those those personal needs that you have to set yourself up for to have a, an optimal experience in your investigation otherwise those biases those other misinterpretations come into play when you're now analyzing and when you're looking for data would you say that's accurate or or not so much oh 100 yeah you really have to be prepared ahead of time um you know there's lots of classes that you can take to prepare your yourself mentally um, but the physical aspect like you said is is just as important so yeah. being hydrated and and having a good night's sleep and having you know good food i was gonna say really like you know sure you can go talk to people and stuff but you'd be i think some people would be amazed at how much better they'd feel if they got a good night's rest they were eating well they weren't just drinking every night or these other things that aren't really going to help you um but actually just some self-care you know yeah i think in, in those and training courses and everything we definitely look straight into like you know what's what's your opsec what's your threat level and all that stuff but like <laughs> very very seldom does anybody talk about preparing you you know your own workstation of of yourself that's a great great point and even just the whole yeah. stuff so powerful uh, i mean even just for me like dealing with my children like if they're acting up i'm like okay <laughs> do they need food right like yeah. of this it doesn't even have to apply just to you doing your work like this is just dealing with people and understanding people absolutely and yet we tend to deprioritize these things because we we think that we have so much time pressure that uh, we don't have time to go to bed or we cannot sleep or we don't have time to cook proper food and we don't realize how much eating junk food tires us out in fact and works against us so everybody says that but in the end when the time comes to do it we are often like no 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 i don't have time for that yeah i, I just need one more cup of coffee or a bigger cup of coffee oh, yeah I mean, I, I can't tell you the number of times I've done that, but I, like many other people, don't necessarily deal with, with sensitive cases that would put me in a place where um, I would be in a in a challenging position. Okay. Um, Nicole, you also mentioned something about 54321, which I wanted to just ask you to describe just a little bit more. What is, what is that about? Yeah, so 54321 is um, a grounding technique. And so it's, if you are starting to feel this emotional response in yourself, so, you know, the anxiety, you, uh, your heartbeat, your breathing, it is taking a step back, maybe pushing, physically pushing yourself away from your desk, um, looking at five things you can see, four things you can hear. And when you're doing this, you're really taking these in. You're saying, you know, I can see this picture on the wall. I can see a clock over here. I can see, you know, saying it to yourself. And then the same with what you're hearing. Oh, I hear this bird outside. I hear, you know, the trucks on the road. I hear, you know, kids playing. Um, then three things you can smell. And uh, a lot of times uh, in investigations, people say, put something that is citrus 
near you because citrus is a mental cleanser. Hmm. Um, and so three things you can smell, uh, two things you can touch, like physically, you know, the act of feeling what, whatever you're touching, paper or clothes. Um, and then one thing you can taste and I highly recommend go get some lemon water, <laughs> you know, go get, go hydrate yourself, go eat something. Um, it goes back to the halt, you know, method too. Um, and so five, four, three, two, one. And as you step through those, it's helping you decompress mentally and take a step back and realize that you're not in trouble. You're not um, in harm's way because a lot of times we're seeing the trauma and we're also experiencing the trauma ourselves, um, you know, as a secondary effect. And so stepping away from that and going through those five things, it, it kind of grounds you and it puts you back into reality and makes you realize that you know, this we're stepping away from the emotional, we're going back to the logical aspect of what we're doing. So it's something that I use, you know, often and it's, it's a big help. So I, I just want a small point. Okay, go. No, 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 you go, you go. Okay, just a small parenthesis on exactly what Nicole said, because uh, there is a scientific background on that that makes a lot of sense. And basically the point is that you make sure that you change mental gears on every level. And this is why all of your five senses need to be engaged and focused of something different, because a little by little, you disengage very practically by touching, by tasting, and with all five senses, you are out. And then you can get back to the investigative gear again with a fresh mind. Well, and like Nicole I know, Michael. <laughs> well, like Nicole was saying, is it's it's disengaging, not suppressing or repressing those emotions, but it's disengaging, allowing allowing those emotions to kind of flow away and returning your mind to the logical. Um, we had a question from Nick Doe on YouTube asking about, well, about workplace culture, really, uh, about taking a break. Uh, a lot of a lot of people think when you talk about mental health, you're thinking people are crazy or depressed or, or just not right. What we're talking about is healthy mental health. Nicole, within your experiences, uh, have you found certain workplaces or certain people are, are more supportive of people taking that break, taking that, uh, that mental health break? Yeah, absolutely. It really is a cultural thing and it starts from the top down. Um, you know, I'm not going to call out the companies that I've worked for that have done this, but you know, one of the companies, uh, the CIO did a across the, the board block from 12 to one and said, you cannot, this is lunchtime. You don't mess with their hour. I mean, it literally says that on the calendar um, Monday through Friday, and you're not allowed to mess with somebody's hour. And that's their time, you know, take your lunch break, you know, go do what you need to do. Um, and then, you know, another company that I worked for, the manager you know, and multiple managers, it, you took your breaks. If you didn't, they were right there saying, when's the last time you took a break? Did you eat lunch? Let's go. Like, I'll drive you to lunch if that's what you need. Like, we're taking a break. So it really is a cultural thing. And, um, you know, hopefully it starts at the top. But if you're in one of those places that you can make that change yourself, then, you know, push that, you know, I may not be a manager, but I still am, am stressing that to all of my coworkers constantly. So yeah. And, yeah. and I did see okay. you say, like, is it a, um, a weakness, you know, to take a, a break? 
no, it's not. That's actually a strength. Um, so many people talk about we have to work from sunup to sundown to be successful. And in reality, uh, you're successful if you can manage your time wisely. And if you have time for breaks and you have time for lunch, um, you're going to be more successful than those folks that aren't. And it's a personal boundary. Yeah. Absolutely. Josh, you were going to ask something. Uh, yeah, I wondered if you saw kind of a, a shifting gears uh, mentality um, from a professional standpoint since, you know, coming from law enforcement and doing forensics and then kind of going more into the private sector. To me, I feel like it kind of got easier with that shift, like the mental anguish and like tax on myself. Um, but then when I go back and try to help and volunteer stuff, I think it actually hits me a little bit more. Do you, did you feel that? Was it kind of nice to get out of that field and go to another one for a little bit and just, you know, do easier things, not, you know, to say it's an easy job, but you know what I mean? So that's actually a really interesting question and something that I've threatened to do a talk on so many times because I had a really rough transition from government and law enforcement to the private sector. And it wasn't that it was easier per se. Um, I would say the stress level was a lot easier uh, from, you know, as far as timing. But, uh, you know, in government and law enforcement, I, you know, when I left, I was on call 24 seven, you know, with incident response. And so, you know, I was up at all hours. If my phone rang, like I had to respond. So from that perspective, yeah, it was it was a good transition. But I also felt like you know, politics and corporate politics came into play. And that has been a really rough transition for me because, you know, I had my chain of command. I knew who I answered to. You know, I knew, you know, who my sergeant and my, my chief was and, and where that chain of command led. Um, but in, in corporate politics, it's a lot different, right? So you have a whole lot of people that you have to please and a whole lot of folks that, um, you know, in, in tasks that you might have that you didn't in, in government and prior, uh, law enforcement. So, um, yeah, it, I think I'm learning and it, it's taken me, you know, several years to make that transition and it wasn't easy, but I'm getting better at it. Oh. Well, I want to see that talk for one. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, hey, uh, just to shift gears here a little bit, we touched on this earlier, but this is a subject that I'm really into, and I know Christine and some others are too. I'm interested in some of your tips and techniques for kind of getting into the uh, target, right? Understanding what's their motive and that sort of thing. Some, what, what are some of the tricks you use there? Sure. Um, so. For me, it's about understanding their baseline. We all have a baseline. Um, we all talk a certain way. We respond a certain way. We listen to certain music. You know, there's there's that baseline. So for me, it's if I have a target, it's going back in their social media if I can get a hold of that, and you know, going a year back, going two years back, and really paying attention to you know how they speak and and how they act, and maybe some of the hobbies and activities that they have. Um, and then as you're getting closer to the time of maybe the criminal activity or, or whatever you're investigating them on is occurring, if you're seeing a shift in some of that and how you're seeing that shift and um, 
a lot of times you are going to see a difference in music. You are going to see a difference in, you know, activities. Are they isolating themselves? Did they, you know, have five friends and now they only have one? Um, are they pushing people away? Uh, are they joining different groups? Did they join this, you know, team group or did they join, you know, um, a, a band or, you know, something that switched at that time? And a lot of times um, in my investigations, there's a motive, there's something that happened either traumatically um, or it was just a, a big break or change in what they did on their day-to-day -day basis that caused, you know, the crime to move forward. And so that's the one thing that I love doing is just making sure that I have a baseline on somebody. Um, the same when I do interrogations, that was, you know, hands down the number one thing that I loved doing was um, interviews and interrogations. I, I'm a people person. I love talking to folks anyways. Um, but I learned right away, I can't play bad cop. I mean, come on, look at me. I'm, I'm not intimidating, right? So when I first went in with my partner on my first, very first interrogation that I did, um, you know, I tried to be mean and, and you know, had that mean face and um, it didn't work. It didn't work for me at all. And in fact, the guy laughed at me. <laughs> so, um, you know, I had to learn to switch and what worked. And so from there going forward, I learned just to talk to people, you know, treat somebody with respect, like they're going through something, you don't know what they're going through. And so I would walk into an interrogation and say, look, um, I know you're not a bad person, but you did something um, but you did something wrong. So let's fix that wrong and let's move forward. And I'm here to help you. You know, you made a bad decision. That's it. It doesn't have to be the end of the world. And as soon as I would say that, you could just see, you know, their whole body just slouch and you could see the stress in their shoulders and their shoulders would relax. Um, the hands and the palms of the hands, you know, there's so much, you know, in body language that we could talk about there. But you could just see that mental shift in them. And, you know, just talking to somebody about what they're going through, you know, was such a huge help. So understanding that person's baseline um, is, is everything in these cases. And then you can really diagnose the other stuff when you have to look at it. I love that. I, I love going back in time and collecting that earlier, as early as you can get information on the target, not just because if they're criminals, their OPSEC usually was way worse than yeah. but also you can analyze and see those shifts and things like that yeah christina yeah and uh, empathy goes a very long way building a trust bond i know it sounds funny in interrogations but it works a lot better than being aggressive because this are raises people's defenses while being empathetic and building a trust relationship helps them take cognitive filters out and start talking. Plus they feel the burden anyway and they want to share it. But okay, there, that was a loaded answer and I have a lot of points and I want to go back to the baseline because this is a big part of profiling. And it's also mm -hmm. very evident on social media in particular and finding this one motive, finding this point in the timeline that um, where the person changed their activity. There is also research on that. For example, uh, targeting the colors somebody uses when they post things online, darker colors, suddenly switching to darker colors, darker themes, um, yeah, indicates a level of uh, sad emotions or something happened there. 
And maybe, you know, finding this one trigger point, for example, losing a job or a breakup are the two big ones, I believe, in criminal cases, mm-hmm. can help you empathize with them when you talk with them in the end, right? Yep. And yeah, I had a case once um, where I went back and I saw, you know, she was stealing money from a government entity and it wasn't a lot of money. And so she would steal $100, you know, $50, could only $20 at a time. And she would try and pay that back. And I'm like, okay, why why the small amounts? Well, it come to find out and going back through her timeline, she lived with her mother, shared a house with her mom. Her mom was helping pay the bills. Her mom recently passed away. She couldn't cover the bills. She had three kids. She was a single mom. So it was, I understood that was her motive. It wasn't that she was trying to steal. She wasn't a bad person. You know, she didn't even have a speeding ticket on her record. Like she was just a great person. And so when I brought her in, I sat down with her and said, you know, just what I said earlier is look, you're not a bad person. You made a bad decision. Here's what I think happened. She started crying and she literally lunged across the table and wrapped her arms around me and hugged me because there was so much grief and just all of that burden on her. And when she finally got it out, like she hugged me and said, thank you. Like she just needed to get that out. And so we worked with her. She didn't do any time. Um, she was able to pay it back. We worked with the prosecutors. We got her help. Um, and so empathy goes a long way. And yeah, it is. You know, sometimes it's just one small you know, life thing that happens that changes somebody's whole baseline. I think that's a great point in that when you are looking at your targets and stuff, it's easy to go black and white, Ugh, bad person, right? But it's a person and they have motives yeah. and thoughts just like we all do. Well, and yeah. in, in, in really one of the themes, I think, for the whole hour that we've been going through here is is understanding yourself understanding other people that you're either working with or living with in in your house or apartment or whatever and understanding your your targets can go a long way to helping people get the help they need to diffusing situations whatever they are and to getting the to staying mentally healthy alert and engaged um so uh not to wrap everything up or anything but but i i see that as a very good trend throughout the whole conversation nicole we are getting close to that hour mark here i wonder is there anything that you'd like to leave people with um uh any tip or anything like that i, I know that one of our uh long time uh participants here zevin's you know used one of your tips about mm-hmm. about taking a shower after work just to clean off that day's assessments is there any other like just down to earth tips that you'd like to share with our audience? Oh gosh, there's so many, but yeah, I would say, you know, the shower's great. Um, the number one tip that I was told ahead of time in all of these cases was do not use speakers. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's big, especially if you're working traumatic cases, your mind is going to look at the video or the picture and fill in those blanks. You don't need to also hear it to understand what's going on. Um, so that was one of the biggest uh, tips that I was given ahead of time, which I'm, I'm so glad. Um, and then, you know, washing it off, you know, taking care of yourself, you know, treating people like people, I mean, the empathy, like we said, you know, everybody's human, we all make mistakes. Um, we all need help, you know, in either an investigation or in life. So just be kind to people would be the biggest takeaway that I have here. Yeah, being kind to people and uh, 
and helping out. Uh, I think that those are very powerful messages that you've that you've shared with us this whole hour. As I mentioned before, we have a a lot of our audience is is getting enthusiastic about open source intelligence and doing capture the flags and participating in those those wonderful events to move the OSINT community forward, but also to help out the the world by doing open source intelligence. And my my while I love that they're getting engaged and I love that more people are learning about open source intelligence, a deep part inside of me wonders how many of those people are seeing things or engaging with uh, material that is and it's going to change them without them being ready for it. So thank you so much for sharing your thoughts, your experience with us. Um, really appreciate that. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, one last thing before we go, I will point to this blog post that uh, Dutch Osen guy who couldn't be here today wanted to, us to mention. Uh, this is a blog post that he mentioned that has some of the same tips that Nicole has been speaking about. We've been discussing here. If you're somebody that is around somebody that does open source intelligence investigations or you just want to get smarter on the subject, please go ahead and take a look at this. Um, share that with investigators. And of course, there are um, there are resources that Nicole has. Follow her on Twitter. Um, take a look at this. This link right here for cybersecurityventures.com. The cybercrime can give you a mental breakdown. Very easy to digest art, uh, article, blog post with audio um, that can that you can give to somebody else. And of course, please consider following Nicole if you don't already do so. Thank you again for Thank being you. here, Nicole. Thank you. Absolutely. Great stuff. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. thank you to our, our wonderful audience who has been so in, engaging here and asking questions um, during this past hour. Um, and Christina, John, Josh, thank you for being here as well. Glad to be here. Cool. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Um, there's just one more thing I want to let you know about. Um, all this week, we'll be doing open source intelligence live streaming. This week's a, a pretty cool week, I think. We're going to be not just doing GeoGuessr and then talking about topics. We Tomorrow, uh, I'll have Griffin Glenn on here. Uh, we'll do some GeoGuessr at 1,800 hours. <laughs> UTC. And then after we do our GeoGuessr daily challenge, we're going to go ahead and dive into bookmarklets, how to uh, create and use those. Griffin's going to share some of his experience. Then on Tuesday, we have OSINT Combine. We have a special um, live stream with OSINT Combine, one of our sponsors, to tell you about the things that he's doing. Chris Poulter's always an amazing talk. And then um, later on in the week, we've got Justin Seitz, who's again going to help us solve some GeoGuessr daily challenge stuff, then hang out and talk to us about Hunchly, talk to us about some of the, his experiences as well. So um, if you can tune in this week live, we'd really love to, to talk with you, to have you help us with uh, our daily challenges in GeoGuessr and just other things. If you can't, all of our material is, is uh, captured on YouTube and on Twitch. So... Uh, Thanks everybody for being here and sharing uh, your experiences and uh, stay us and curious, everybody. Thanks Bye. for joining. Thank yeah. you. Bye everybody.